I love today's topic because today's topic becomes a little personal to me, which I think every pastor is there preaching, he or she, anyone that's teaching for that matter, should at least once in a while put themselves in the story. They should put themselves in their message. And uh, for this second, I won't ask you if you've struggled in your faith. I may ask that later. I may ask for people to be honest and real and just take the facade off of our spiritual lives to that everything looks so perfect all the time. And uh, I thought when I first became a Christian, I had this dream that everything would go perfect. After you become a Christian, why can't everything go well? Because in the whole world, we become Christians, right? That's the goal. But I, I have good news and bad news. The good news is if you look at people around the world, especially in the Asian countries, more people are converting to Christianity and in, into Jesus, I should say, than any other time in history. You may not believe that, but the record shows it, that the number of people going from not believing to belief is higher than ever, okay? Um, especially in Asia, it's, it's happening by the thousands and the millions. Um, but at the same time, there's a record number of people who are, I would call deconverting away from Christianity and away from Jesus to not believing anymore. There's a record of that. So you, you have, it's, it's a weird wrestling thing where I look at and I go, what do we do? Because you have people who are not Christians who are becoming Christians, and then you have Christians who have been Christians a long time who they don't know how to handle their doubts, so they deconvert, if that's even a word, but they unconvert. They say no to the Lord. I don't, I don't trust you. I don't believe you. I don't want it anymore. And then they walk away. The problem is with that is the church, capital C, has not been well and not been, uh, not been good at teaching people how to process their struggles. Like people are afraid to say they're struggling in their faith because they're afraid that A, you'll be judged, B, you'll be condemned, or at worst, maybe even if it could be worse than that, at best, you could say, we don't want you around here. I've had people over the years, the last 20 years of living here, they, they wonder if, um, like, because they're not perfect, if they want, if, if, do, do you want me to leave? And I go, what's the, pro- what's, I think, what's the problem? Why would we want you to leave when you're struggling? We want to help you in the process of doubt and fear and discouragement and whatever the case may be. And we want to help you go to the Lord. And we want the Lord, we're going to see the Lord do some mighty things. So this one kind of hit close to home, this idea that people are deconverting. Because when I was in college, there's sometimes I miss college, but there's a lot. Of, I don't know how I did it because I, I was a full-time student. I worked in the cafeteria, which, by the way, is where I met Lydia. And uh, so you can thank the cafeteria for that because Hayden wouldn't even be born. So you're welcome. Um, at the same time, at, in 1999, as a freshman, my pastor led me to the Lord. He asked if I would start a youth group in his church. So he was a senior pastor all of a sudden. I said, I I don't know how, but I'll do it. And I was leading a youth group for four years. And my, my heart as a youth pastor was, it's the same as it is today. It's to see people make their faith their own. You don't borrow the pastor's faith. You don't borrow someone else's faith. It is the strong faith that you go, you know what? I, I wrestle with this. I struggle with that. I've been digging into the word of God. I've been praying deep. But here I am still struggling. But it's your own and that was my goal as a youth pastor. And I led um, multiple individuals to the Lord. 
I was, uh, it was a very interesting time. I was not only encouraged, but a lot of times I was encouraged. Then a lot of other times I would be dis- discouraged because I'm talking to a group of teenagers and I see a couple of them over here, not you guys, but they're all goofing off. And, and I say, Ian, you're not even paying attention. I should have just kind of ignored. You kind of learn what not to do afterwards. And afterwards, Ian, the pastor's son, not my pastor, but never pastor on the staff. I said, Ian, you were, this has happened every single time. You're just, you're kind of goofing off or you're, you're doing this and that. And, and he started quoting verbatim my, my, my talk. I said, okay, I'm learning a little bit, you know. But my, my goal was to take people like Ian, Christian people, non-Christian people, pastor's sons, atheists, and disciple them and make it their own, even if it seemed like they weren't paying attention, but they were. And I remember going, this is awesome. Now, when they graduated, when the kids graduated, my sphere of influence for them disappeared. They moved away. They um, decided to get married or whatever. Now, there was no way to reach them. I was like, how, how are you doing? But there was no such thing as Facebook back then. Facebook has been, there's been negative stuff on Facebook, I'll be honest. But the first good thing about Facebook, reuniting people you haven't seen in years. I mean, I'm talking about people from kindergarten right? Um, and most, a lot of people didn't have cell phones, so I couldn't reach them. Then I'm like, well, how are they doing? How, in, a, in a roundabout, how are they doing? Then I moved to Kamei, and um, I still can't reach them. Then all of a sudden, one day, MySpace got invented. That got thrown away really quick. Then, you, then uh, Facebook got invented, and then I was actually able to reach out and search them out and look up their names, and I found a lot of them. I said, that's awesome. I want to see how they're doing. Some of them are strong in their faith. One of them is a youth pastor. Yeah. In the same, not at the same church, but the same building that I was at as a youth pastor. Because, long story, the, the church that I pastored is no longer existing. But we won't get into that. But the, the, the church, the building is still being used. Okay? And he's a youth pastor there. And it's awesome. But then I found out there's some teenagers. They're not, they're, they got, they got families of their own and they got kids of their own. Um, but some of them have left the faith and it, they're leaving Christian, they left Jesus, they left Christianity. And I, I struggle with that because I, what else could I have done to make their faith more real after they graduated? Because the reality is most people, when they're 18, 19, 20 years old, they're really wrestling and even older than that, but they leave the faith. Altogether. That's why today we're talking about leaving Christianity. And I'm going to say it up front that when you're struggling with your faith, you don't have to like burn everything down in your life because of one little instance of doubting God and struggling. You don't have to take one, if you have one wall in your house that's, that needs to be removed, you're not burning down the whole house because there's one wall that needs to be removed and it needs to be rebuilt, reconstructed. But people are going, I'm struggling with my faith. I have a question I can't answer. I read something really weird in the Bible, which there are some weird stories. Only people who are honest with themselves can admit that. Okay? And if you're human for just a moment, you look at a talking donkey and you go, wow, that's odd. Now, for a side note, I believe that literally happened. Okay? I believe that God can do anything he wants. If Jesus is alive today, and like Peter walked on water, then I believe that a donkey, it's not just a little cartoon story. It truly happened. 
but I can understand why people struggle with that. And some people, like the people in my youth group over the years, they struggle with stuff like that, and they said, I can't believe in that. And they walked away. See, my goal as a pastor is to pastor a church, and maybe it's today, maybe it's, maybe it's already here, but it's to pastor a church that we don't scold people for struggling. We don't judge them for struggling. We don't, like, oh, you're wrestling? Oh, I'll wrestle you, and I'll, make, I'll pin you to the ground spiritually speaking. Like, why are you struggling? Real people don't struggle. Real Christians don't deal with that. Real Christians don't ask that question. You know, you're asking that question. You shouldn't ask that question. Just trust. Just believe. I pray that this would be a place where people can ask their questions, can wrestle, can actually do some, do the, do the research, pray, Seek the face of God. Seek the truth. And what? When you seek the truth, you're going to find the truth. Okay? You got to know who to talk to. You got to know what to do. You can't just talk to any person on the street. Hey, hey, Bill, what do you think about this thing in the Bible? Ah, that's why I don't trust it. You're right. But you go to a trusted believer who has wrestled before, and you say, what do you think of this? And they go, I don't know how to answer that question, but let's wrestle together. The reason, I'm not a perfect Christian, but the reason that I am where I am today is not only because the Holy Spirit changed my life, but it's because of people in the church. They helped me wrestle with my doubts. They helped me, I had people that actually helped me wrestle. They didn't judge me. I've never felt judged when, they, when I said, well, and, I'm, and here I was, a youth pastor. I was studying the Bible. To, I was studying what the, the Greek meant and this meant and the Aramaic and this, and I still went, but what if that's not true? And I had people help me along. And those processes of people helping me wrestle with it has actually made my faith in God deeper than it ever has. My faith is that we'd be able to seek the face of God. We would extend a hand of mercy to people who are drowning in doubt. And that we would see a number of men and women who are prodigal sons and daughters come back to the faith. And we don't say, man, it's been a while since we've seen you. We say, no, we love that person that's struggling. We love that person. Maybe they've even left their faith in God. But we'll do whatever we can with the power of the Holy Spirit to extend a loving hand to them to see what, what is our responsibility to bringing people home. Because it's not only the Holy Spirit's job. To do, he, does, he has the main power, of course. He has the anointing. But he uses our hands. He uses our words. He uses our words of encouragement. My question is, are we people of encouragement to people who struggle, or do we kind of ignore them and just let them be? Well, we'll just let them wrestle with God. Or do we know that we're called by God to encourage people? Not everybody, not, not, not just people who are struggling, but everybody. We are there to encourage, to extend a hand of mercy, because that's exactly what Jesus did. Remember, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he didn't just die on the cross. He lived a perfect life, and he lived a life that's how we're supposed to live. Now, I, I, I make a bad Jesus. If I'm going to be honest, the, my, the example that Jesus has set, and it's perfect, I fail. But when he extends a hand of mercy to someone, when he forgives someone that's harmed him, when he says, from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing, it's not just good words. It's like, this is how I'm supposed to live my life. And I struggle with that. Because we're talking about doubt. That's how I just struggle with that. Anybody else struggle with when Jesus says, forgive those 
around you. Just Maybe just me. I'll just throw it out. Just me. You guys are good. Ignore what I'm saying right now. But we're going to be in Matthew 14 today. And the man that I want to focus on today, he gets a lot of airtime from the church. He gets, a, we talked about, who did we talk about last, what disciple did we talk about last week? Thomas. Oh, we'll have to do, let me get my notes from last week and we'll start all over. Last week's lesson is going to start again. Thomas, who is known as Doubting Thomas. You knew that. How did you know that? Because he gets a bad rap. We're going to talk about a guy who has extreme faith and he has extreme doubts in the same story. So anybody that says you, that faith and doubts are exclusive, you can either have faith or you can have doubts, you're lying about it. You can have faith in the middle of doubts. You can have doubts in the middle of faith, and you can prove it right in the Bible. We already read one earlier from David in the Psalms. He said, how long are you going to be avoiding me forever, Lord? How long are my enemies going to gloat over me? But you know what, Lord, you're a good God. You can wrestle a little bit. In, you don't have to take my word for it. Just take the Bible for it. We're going to talk about Peter today. He is my favorite disciple because he is a good example of what it means to have strong faith. Extreme, I, call, I wrote it down yesterday, extreme faith. Okay? The thing that he does in the story that we're reading, I, you might not like me for this, I don't have enough faith to do what he did in the story. I don't. I've never tried what he tried. Because I don't, trust, I don't trust myself enough to actually go through with it. Okay? But Peter, in Matthew 14, now, if you were here last year, what book of the Bible, here, we'll test this. What book of the Bible did we, read, did we study for most of last year? Oh, Mark, a couple of us remembered. Mark. And you'll, you, you, you knew Jesus. You saw a lot of Peter. This story is in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. It's a very important story. And the, actually the um, context of the story is the disciples are on a lake on a boat and there's a, a storm, a squall, and there is, they're looking from a distance and there's this figure walking on the water towards them. And what do they think he is? He's a ghost. Now, before you start going, for one, I think they told a lot of ghost stories around the campfire. Number two, people don't walk on water. Number three, they believed in Jesus. Some of them even confessed him to be God. Some of them even confessed him to be the, the Lord's Messiah. But in their brains, Jesus does not walk on water. So when you walk on, when someone walks on water, it's a ghost. It's a spirit. Okay, another word for ghost is spirit, by the way. We don't, we don't look at Casper. We're not talking about Casper the friendly ghost. We're talking about someone's spirit. Okay? We don't, they don't know who it is. Now the rest of them are sitting there in the boat, and Peter is the one who pipes up with extreme faith. That's why I like Peter. Because the story starts well, and by the way, I say this a lot about the Bible. If you have already, if you're already finishing the story in your mind, stop it. Okay, you already know what happened, so stop it. <laughs> when you read the Bible, and I have to do this myself, I have to read it like I am reading it for the very first time. How do you do that? It's a mindset. You're looking for something that you didn't notice before. That's what I do because I've read the Bible and I, I skip over verses that I already memorized. I don't even read it verbatim. Like John 3, 16 and 17, I can, I can close the Bible and just quote it because that's an easy one for me. And I don't, I, I don't, I'm not a good memorizer, okay? 
But the reality is we've got to get to a place, this is a side note, that we've got to read the Bible like it's brand new. And I promise you, you're going to see it in a new light. So those of us, including me, who are reading this story, you already know the, you already know the ending. Just for a moment, just throw me a bone here and pretend you've never read it. Have you ever read this story before where Peter and Jesus walks on water? Say no. No, no, say no. Okay, perfect. Okay. <laughs> just testing. But he's actually... There, he's in the horizon. He's on the horizon, walking on water. They think he's a ghost, but he confirms it's me. And then in verse twenty-eight and twenty-nine, there's twelve guys on that boat, and the rest of them don't say, "Jesus, come here, please." One of them pipes up, and it's Peter, because he's the loudmouth. I like that, because you know when I was in school, what got me in trouble the most. Some things never change. Then he says this. Then Peter called to him, because this is right after he says, it's a ghost, it's I. Then Peter, he says, Lord, if it's really you, now pause. If you're reading this in the context of a story of strong faith, what would you do if you're in a situation? If it's really you, Jesus, come here. Wouldn't you say that? How many of us would say, if it's really you, let me come onto the water? No, I would not. That doesn't make sense. That makes zero sense in the context of the story, doesn't it? Why would you say, if it's really you, let me walk to you? That doesn't make sense. The only way it makes sense is if Peter actually has faith. How many of us think that he has faith right here? You have to. You can't, you can't deny it. It says, if it's really you, tell me, command me, call me to come to you walking on the water. I could preach about that, that if Jesus is calling you to walk on water, you better be walking on water. Okay, if he's telling you not to walk on water, but to walk over here, then walk over there. Listen to the voice of God. Okay, listen to the command of God. That's exactly what, and I like that he said that. If it's really you, you command me. I'm not going to just do it. I'm following the voice of God, the command of God. If it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Who says that? Someone, well, it's a guy with faith. If you're struggling in your faith at that second, you're not going to be saying, let me walk on water. How many of us can walk on water? Nope. I just, I wanted to, I wanted to ask, how many of us have ever tried to walk on water? Lydia did. One person. Did you fail? Did you really, now I did, I'm not trying to pick on you. Did, when you did it, did you doubt just a little bit? Of course you did. See, we all would. Shame. Kidding. You know, why I haven't tried to walk on water? Because I don't think I can do it. People that don't think they can do it, they're not going to walk on water. Okay? Now, my goal here is to look at this story and first of all say, that's crazy. It's ridiculous. It's crazy faith. It's extreme faith. It's extreme Hope that God could actually create a process where if you're walking on water, if there's water, somehow you can walk and you can defy the law of whatever, water and whatever it is, that when you touch water, you're going to sink through it. Now, I, there's a study that some college, and I'm not against college, I went to college, but 
that said that at that time there were these ice caps that were just there in the middle that Jesus wasn't really walking on water. He went from ice cube to ice cube. And I go, that's a big miracle too. It's like he walked on ice cubes and, and they tried to prove it by different times a year on that lake. And I'm like, ridiculous. Even if that's the case, man, I, I was in the back of Cloninger's the other day getting, going to work on Friday and I almost fell in the back. It was a sheet of ice. And I have, a stroke, I have a hard time walking on ice. I mean, I did that when walking pork chop the other day. You saw me from the window fall. Whoop. And it's okay if you laughed. I would have laughed too, but I was hurting a little bit in my hip. But uh, this is an extreme story because it takes extreme faith. And then, spoiler alert, as I said not to spoil it, but he starts to drown because he starts to doubt. And... I've heard people over the years criticize him in this story. And my question, did Jesus criticize him? It's a, it's a legit question because of what the question is going to, in just a moment, what Jesus says. But I go, I don't think one moment I've ever criticized Peter for that because some people think he took three steps. I have no idea how many steps. He walked on water. And I go, Hey, how many of you guys have walked on water? I haven't, but I haven't tried either. The only ones that walk on water are, they have 100%, not 50% faith, 100% faith. So people with 100% faith, they should never struggle, right? People with extreme faith, they should never struggle. Hold on that thought for just a moment, because I'm going to say if that's what you really believe, you're wrong about that. People can have extreme faith and they can fear and doubt and question. How do I know that? Because this story is right here. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness. There is a reason why this story is in all four gospels. There's a reason why. Peter had extreme faith. He had faith to follow Jesus. He had faith to step. Think about it. Jesus didn't say, here, let me, let, me, let me escort you on the water. Jesus called him, but who took the first step of faith? Peter. Jesus called. Peter took the first step of faith. Jesus didn't escort him on the water. That teach, that will preach that some of us are waiting for Jesus to physically like pull us before we do anything for him. Like, do you need to show up and make? No, we need to walk in a step of faith. Even a small step of faith. I bet you you walk like a little baby. Like I did on the ice the other day. I'm sitting there like, I just learned how to walk. And someone else said that at the store. They're like, I'm walking like a baby. I'm like, I am too. We're all sitting there like, right? But I love that. Like, what I love about the gospel is it makes it seem like this is just a normal little day. He just walked on the water towards Jesus. No big deal. If it were me writing, I'd have put that in bold lettering. I would have underlined it. I would have circled it. I would have said, this is crazy. But at the same time of having extreme faith, I, I can't, before I read the rest of it, how many of us would think that's extreme faith to actually believe that you're going to walk on water? That's extreme. That is way out there. And no one would doubt that. But at the same time, he struggles. The very one that's literally walking on water is starting to go, what if I don't walk on water? No, you're walking on water, you bonehead. Talking to me. Like, you're walking on water and you're starting to doubt. Listen, 
every single one of us will go through seasons of doubt and fear and frustration and what if or what if this or questions that you cannot answer. You're, you're, you're praying for someone to get healed or your own marriage or whatever, and it's not getting better. And you're going, why? Why this? Why this war? Why this? Why did my son or daughter do this? Why, 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 why? And you can't, you struggle. You wrestle. And the reason why I'm doing this series, it's a, little, it's a lot different than normal. The reason why, if for most of us, you need permission to go, you know what? When I struggle, when I doubt, when I fear, when I do that, it's not the end of the world. It is the excuse to step back and to dig deeper in God and allow him to grow, deep, grow you deeper. Is to, to fan the flame of hope and faith in you in the middle of your doubt. Because Peter is a good example of someone that can go extreme faith and doubt. And this example, this story made Peter's faith a lot stronger because it happened. Look at verse 30. But, he's walking on water, but, big but here, when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Really? You're walking on water, for crying out loud. Do you think you can walk on waves? Do you think waves are going to stop you? Like, if the waves are this high, it's like a stairway, you know? And then you step down the other side, right? And he goes, he was terrified, and he began to sink. Save me, save me, Lord, right? I mean, I could get, like, he is getting ready to drown. Jesus immediately judged him. Jesus immediately scolded him. Jesus immediately said, get out of here. You're not worthy of being used by God. How many of us believe that God healed Peter in the first century, and even post his life, he's, he's been used by, for all of us. We've read Peter's words. He has two letters in the Bible. I don't. He's been used by God. This was not the end of the story, even though he could have drowned. No, no, no. Jesus immediately reached out. Immediately. He didn't say, this will teach you a lesson. Are you ready? Are you okay? Because, you know, I'm going to let him drown, and then I'm going to bring him back to life just to teach him. You don't mess with it. You don't mess with Jesus. You don't doubt me, Peter. No, he didn't do that. He reached out his hand, and he grabbed him. And if you're drowning in doubt right now, what's, Jesus, what's the character of Jesus here? His immediate reaction. Don't, he's going to ask this question that really I've been wrestling with for 30 years. But what's his immediate gut reaction? Jesus, remember how Jesus responds to every situation because he's perfect? I, I've responded in different situations in a very sinful way. Anybody else? Like you go, oh, I should have said it differently. Oh, I should have treated someone differently. Oh, man, Jesus, when he responds, perfect. So his immediate reaction is, I'm going to reach out and grab him and save him. <laughs> and then he says something that messes up the entire story if you're looking at it as a human. Save me, Lord. Boom. And then, what does he say? You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? Now, I wish I could hear vo Jesus' voice and see what kind of 
tone he had. Tone would change everything in, this, in these words. Like if I went to someone and I said, why are you, like if I went, why are you struggling, moron? I wouldn't do that. Or if I went, why, why are you struggling? The tone changes everything. It changes everything. So I have to do a little speculation, but part of it is as I've matured in my faith, as I've matured in my Bible reading, I'm still learning, but you have to look at the character of who Jesus is as a whole. Now, he was way more, he was more critical of the religious people of the day than he was his own disciples. His disciples were not religious people. He chose the people that nobody would choose. I mean, if, there's, if it's a baseball team and you're at recess when you're in elementary school, these people would not be chosen at all. That's why I fit in. They would not be captains of the team. They wouldn't be water boy. They wouldn't be anybody. They would just be, no, you're over by the brick wall. That might have been my story, by the way. But he says, why did you doubt me? Now, I'm going to deal with that in just a moment. But I would ask that you would take off your spiritual facade for this series. And maybe for the rest of your life. Because, again, I, I didn't grow up in the church. I, I stepped foot in the church when I was 16 years old, gave my life to Christ. And I was part of a very good church. But somehow I got this impression that you got to have it all together. And if you don't have it all together, there's something wrong with you. Or you just don't trust God enough. If you're praying and you're not healed, something's wrong with you. Do you know how wrong that is? Do you know how many people go through life discouraged because they've been told one thing, and then they go through struggles, and they go, no wonder they walk away. Because, and I'm not saying Christians in this, I'm talking about Christians, capital C. I'm talking about Christianity in general. That people, they don't have a problem with Jesus. Most people don't have a problem with Jesus. Even atheists believe that Jesus existed. They don't believe he's God, but they believe that he was a good man. Okay? I can argue about that whole thing, but they don't have a problem with Christians. They don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with Christians. And here we are still alive. Everybody's still alive? Yeah. That means we still have time right now to right the ship, to make sure that people who are far from God and lost from God, that if they're stepping away from God, it's not because of Christianity. It's not because of Christians. It's because they're making the step and going, you know what? I have a hard time buying into this Bible. I can deal with I can, I can, I can, that's fine. But I don't want to be guilty for me. It's just for me. I don't want someone to go, you know what? I would have believed, but you acted like this towards me. Even if it's not fair even if I'm trying my hardest to do better. I want to be a Christian and Christ follower who is living like Jesus is. And how is he towards people who are drowning in faith? Immediately reached out. Not, this will teach you to not believe in me. Wave, little wave. Oh, you're drowned? Okay, I'm going to grab you and put you back to life. He didn't do that. I'm going to make you an example to the rest of these cowards on the boat. This is what happens when you step out in faith. You drown. If you're here and you're currently going through some doubts, 
I want you. I want to say something. I think I said last week. I don't know, but it, you, your doubts don't disqualify your faith. This might even seem controversial, but your doubts don't send you to hell. Do I believe in hell? Yes. Okay, I just throw that out. For like the last ten years, I haven't heard as much to these days. But for the last ten years, there's been this group of people in the capital C who have had a who have struggled with the idea of hell. Why do I believe in hell? Jesus talked about it. It's in the Bible. If Jesus talks about it as a real place, I know it's, I know it's not popular. Why would a good God send someone to hell just because they don't believe in the right religion? Well, you're wrong there, but that's not the way to heaven. But anyway, but your doubts don't disqualify your faith. It doesn't mean you're not saved. Peter right there who doubted, how many of us think that he lost his salvation while he was drowning in the moment that he finally confessed Jesus and then he's back in the faith? right? Whoop, you're out of the faith. Whoop, you're in the faith. Whoop, you're out of the faith. No, 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 no. Now, you can walk away from the faith. Even that's controversial, but I'll just say that right there. You can walk away from the faith. You can say, no, thank you. I'm out of here. You can walk away. But if you're sitting there going, Lord, I am really struggling right now. Help me. I'm going through this time, Lord. I want to learn about you. I want to grow in my faith. Jesus is going to look at that. And he's going to go, I'm going to help you grow, especially if you're in a community of believers who will help you grow. Listen, this is not a perfect church. There's a lot better churches. There's a lot better pastors, okay? I am not a perfect pastor, okay? There are people that have told me that. That's fine, okay? People have left. That's fine, my goal is not to be a perfect pastor. My goal is to, as a Christian, not as a pastor, my goal as a Christian is to go out and extend the hand of mercy that Jesus extends to me all the time. To reach out and say, you know what? You're not alone. We need each other. Who, those of us who are trying this thing on our own, this Christian life, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. You can't do it on your own. You're not meant to do it all alone. All, all alone. You're not strong enough. I'm sorry. I know what the American culture, you're strong enough. You're mighty enough. No. You, you can only, we can only grow in the context of the power of the Holy Spirit and in the context of community. That's why this matters. That's why church matters. That's why gathering matter, matters. It does. I don't need church to go to heaven. Well, you're technically right, but you need people. You need people. Your doubts don't disqualify your faith. And those of us, maybe you're here and you're not struggling your faith. I want to applaud you. You're not currently struggling your faith. You need to be ready right now to extend a hand of grace to someone who is struggling. That's your job. That's my job. If you're here and you're strong in your faith right now, your job isn't the Look, I'm much better than you, Dwayne. Man, I, I'm so holy. You can, can you see that shine, that, that, the anointing power all over me? No, the red skin, that's because I'm hot right now. Okay, that's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's because I'm sweating up here. But you know what? It's not that. It's to extend a hand of mercy. That's why we are still on this earth. That's why God doesn't just... <laughs> we'd have, if people were ready not to go to work tomorrow and just go to heaven, we'd have people at this altar right this second. All of a sudden, you start floating into heaven. When you get through the roof, fix it for me, please. Right? I don't want snow in here. So doubt isn't the enemy of faith. And I'm not making this up. This is right in the Bible. This is not 
when you see Peter's story, he is, it's not the enemy. Doubt is often an invitation to a deeper faith. Peter, I know 100%, guarantee that Peter had a stronger and deeper faith in Jesus because of this moment. Guaranteed. Jesus asked the question, why did you doubt? That's a good question. I want to ask you guys who are struggling right now, why are you doubting? Again, I don't believe this is a scold when Jesus is saying that because Jesus is merciful every single time to his disciples. He really is. I think it's an invitation to a deeper faith in, in, in him. Like, you know, you, you, I'm here, Peter. You don't have to doubt. You don't have, you don't have to go through that. I'm here with you. Like, you walked on water. You, you know that you did that. You know that I, you didn't do that yourself. I did that for you. Why'd you doubt? You could have kept going. There's a difference between that and going, you know, because I don't, I, I don't like that part of it because why, why did you doubt? Christians are afraid to ask to talk to people about their doubts. They say, oh, Dwayne, I, don't tell this to anyone else, but I'm doubting. I'm struggling my faith. And he might go, he doesn't really do this, but how dare you get out of the church? Get out of here. Get out of my presence. Get out of my sight. We only have good people here. We have people with faith. That is not the church. We're here to reach out to people who struggle, who wrestle, who are looking for truth. And when you seek truth, you will find truth. When you seek God, you will find God. That's right in the Bible. So Back in college, I want to tell you a quick story about my first time doubting was back in college. Now, I became a Christian at 16, and at 17, I was at a Bible camp, and God called me to ministry. And then, and then I planned to go to uh, Northwest University, Northwest College back then. I was ready to go, and I felt I was going to lead the whole school to the Lord, like 3,000 people to the Lord. Like, I had a naive faith, I guess. I was like, ah, I'm gonna go to the go up to the table and preach to the whole. I never did that because I was shy. And then I got to college in '99, and I really struggled with my faith. One day, I was in the library, and this is back in the day before Google, so you can't really study that way. That you shouldn't study with Google, but I'm just saying, you had to actually read a book. I took a textbook opened it up to whatever I was reading. At. It was about a book of the Bible. Then I opened my Bible on this side. It's like, okay, this is, I'm, not, I'm making up Mark 12 or something like that. Then I went to the Bible, okay, Mark 12. I'm like studying it. I'm like digging deep. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, study is good. Okay, but I stopped reading what I was reading, and I stopped reading the Bible, and I had a scary revelation, not a revelation, but a scary thought. Because I had, I had, my grandpa gave me a piece of property. I sold it to get like $15,000, and that paid for my first year cash. I handed it over. Oh, wish I had that $15,000 right now. But the rest of the time, I had loans and stuff like that. But I actually went to the registrar, and I went. But I remember going in, I, I spent a lot of my grandpa's money. <laughs> Be real. And I sat in that library, and I went, looked at that Bible, looked at that textbook, and I went, what if this is all made up? (laughs) 
Now, I spent $15,000 I could have spent on a car. Guarantee I could have bought a brand new, I could have got a Dodge Neon brand new back then for like $7,000. I looked back in the day when Dodge Neons were cheap. And yeah, they were cheap. I had one when we were married, when we were, you know, not long after we were married. I said, here I am in school, in a library, reading, studying, and I'm a youth pastor at the same time. And I'm preaching to these kids to just trust and believe. And here I am struggling to even believe that this is even a real story. What did I do? Did I go from the library, grab my keys, go to my Astro van that I had for that semester, and did I drive back to Puyallup, Washington, crying because I wasted $15,000? No. I said, Lord, I'm really struggling right now. I'm going to take a season where I'm going to wrestle with you. I'm going to question things. I, see, some Christians are afraid to question. I don't know why. You are afraid that if you're questioning things, that's going to lead you to somewhere that's not the truth. I, I personally believe that if you're, if you're stepping back and looking at things from all angles, you're going to find the truth. Or maybe even better, the truth will find you. And I believe that Jesus is the truth. So that's why when I was struggling with my faith, I said, Lord, I want a season of study, a season of prayer, a season of worship. I, I did prayer walks around the campus. There was, in our dormitory, there was this little chapel room, the most comfortable chapel. This had the biggest shag carpet I've ever seen. It was the most comfortable place to pray. It, I, I've never been to a church that had stained glass. It had stained glass. It was awesome. And I spent hours there. I spent one night, I spent all night there. I studied. I prayed. I worshiped. I asked people. I, we wrestled with things in the dormitory with, with other people in the dorms. And I said, what do you think about this? And one thing I found out is this thing is absolutely 100% trustworthy because God, he didn't sit there and write with his finger, here you go. No. He empowered people, called them. He empowered. He breathed his life into it. I love that. Doubt is often an invitation to a deeper faith. I had a deeper faith at that time. Now, when I do struggle from time to time, I go back and do the same thing I did then. And it's an invitation to a deeper faith. Because every time I seek truth, guess what I find? Truth. It's amazing. If I start there and start questioning the Bible and say, what if this is false? If I start doing that, and if I'm afraid that's going to lead me down the wrong road, you're, th you're, you're coming at it from a wrong angle. If you start stepping back and deconstructing your faith a little bit and seeing from all angles, why do I believe what I believe? Why do I believe the Bible to be true? Why do I believe that Jesus is the only way? Because, by the way, some people don't believe in this faith because we're so exclusive. Jesus only, really? Some of us have never asked those questions. Now, what I want to talk about the rest of this and we'll be done is a word that I heard a long time ago. It just popped in my head as I was doing this. And it's the word spiritual deconstruction, which for most people have never heard that before. But I want you to think about the idea of deconstruction, to deconstruct something. Okay, some Christians are going to get very nervous with what I'm talking about here. It's a lot different. Okay, simply put, before I even look at this, 
It's simply going through a season of study and a season of seeking God and a season of growth. Okay? Now, if you're trying to deconstruct something, I thought about an example when I was at home uh, working on this. <clears throat> if, you have, if you're in your house and you find a wall that's unhealthy, like it's got mold or something like that, you have, a, you, have two th- you have three things you could do. Ignore it. B, you could burn down the whole house. Or C, you could deconstruct that wall, take it apart, look at it from all angles, see it from all sides. Ooh, that part's not good. I need to take that out, throw that away, burn that unhealthy thing, and reconstruct what's healthy, reconstruct what's right, reconstruct what's strong. So there's deconstruction. You're deconstructing things, and you're taking a look from it from all angles, going, okay, is this wall healthy? See, we had to do that with this roof. You may have noticed a few stains from the years of leaking. You know, we had to go up there with a couple guys and Ron, and we had to go up there and assess what's going on. There was a big leak upstairs. We actually found where it was. Why? Because we had to, we, Ron, had to deconstruct that ceiling part, and he actually saw where the water was going. If we had not, if we had ignored it, it would still be leaking to this day. And if we burned down the whole building because, oh, there's one leak, two or three leaks, okay, let's be honest, we would be cold right now. So a spiritual deconstruction is simply taking a step back because if you... If it's done well, it can actually help you grow in your faith. See, some people, this is very, makes them very nervous because you're, are you telling people to doubt? No. I'm telling every one of us, including myself, to take a step back and assess your faith from all angles. Why do I believe what I believe? Why do I trust the Bible? I just do, Pastor, but why? Some people have never asked that question or never answered. Maybe they asked it, but they've never answered it. Why do I trust this thing? Because devil's advocate, I hate to use that term, but what if this is lying? I don't believe it's lying. I believe it's the truth. But step back for a minute. Why do I believe this thing? Why do I believe in a God? And why do I believe even deeper than that? Why do I believe that Jesus is the only way? I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but, but, but through me. Okay, I trust that, but why do I trust that? Have you ever wrestled with that? See, I'm not saying, I'm not saying okay, I'm starting to question if Jesus is even real and then walk away. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying to deconstruct something is to just take a look, step back, take a look at it from all angles. Okay, here's the Bible. Let me look at it from different angles. Let me look at it. Okay, let me read it. Let me do some research. Let me study. Let me, let, me, let me pray. Let me seek the face of God. Why? And why do I say that? Because you're going to find the truth. You're going to deepen your walk with God. When someone says, why do you trust that God is real? Why do you think that Jesus is the only way? You're able to confidently say, this is why. I've talked with other people of other religions. There's a major religion in Utah and major religion in southern Idaho. Some people around here, and I talk to them all the time around my house. And I say, <clears throat> how do you, and it's not the Bible, how do you know that that book, your book right here, how do you know it's true? You know what their answer is? 
I just feel it's right. I feel that it's right. Really, I feel like it's a, I feel like I'm in Hawaii right now, but I'm not. I feel like I have a cup of coffee right now and I'm drinking it. It's lovely. No, my cup's out. See, I am not saying, see, remember, I want to say this one more time, like I said last week. Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. So there's definitely a blessing. I want to say it again, like I said last week. It doesn't say saved are the ones who believe and have not seen. It says blessed. If you want that blessing, go for it. Blind faith, sure. Yes, there's nothing wrong with that. If someone would come up to me afterwards and say, you know what, pastor, you're wrong. I just believe. I'm going to go, yes, good. Give me a hug. I would be okay with that. But for the rest of us who struggle from time to time, what do they do? Do they do what some Christians say? Never doubt, never question, just go. Or do they do what Peter did? Wrestle? Thomas, wrestle? David, wrestle? Are you seeing a, are you seeing a reason for that? Look, doubt, struggle, believe. Doubt, struggle, believe. Doubt, struggle, trust. That's exactly what they did. None of us would doubt their, their, their salvation. They wrestled. Their wrestling and their doubt and their study and their research and their spiritual deconstruction, in a sense, was their way of coming to the truth. It was their journey. Spiritual deconstruction is a sincere examination of your beliefs, seeking to let go of what is true, untrue so that you can hold on to what is true. If you have that house with that mold in the wall, don't burn the whole house down. If you're doubting God, don't walk away from the faith. Don't leave Christianity. You just, you deconstructing that wall of your heart and saying, why am I struggling with this? And you're, oh, this is why. The thing that I've been believing my entire life, the way, the way that I've been living has not been the heart of God. I got to get rid of that. And then I need God to rebuild my faith, to construct, to reconstruct my heart in a healthy way. You don't have to burn the whole house down because you have one wall that's bad. You got to deconstruct the wall, look at it from all angles. Where's the mold at? Get rid of that mold and then re, or you call someone to do it. Like that's what I would do. And then you have them rebuild that wall and guess what? You got a good house, healthy, no mold. You do the same thing with your Christian walk with God. In Matthew 5, 43 through 44, Jesus actually invites people to spiritually de deconstruct their lives. Did he use the term? No. They had something that they believed, but it was wrong. Was it God's heart? He says this. He says this five times. You've heard that it says, but I say to you. Have you heard that phrase? Jesus goes, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Okay, he's saying, here's what, the, is it what God's heart is? See, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Pause. From a human perspective, that seems right. Right? They've heard that, you know, as a believer in God, you got to love your neighbor, but you, it's okay to hate your enemy. It's okay. And Jesus, he, he says, I want you to take a look at that phrase and that belief, and I want you to believe, is that really God's heart? So they, they spiritually deconstructed it. They took it apart, and they said, no, that's not right. What did Jesus say to construct it? He said, but I say to you, love your enemies. That's how these, he, he's saying, build your life with these truths. 
Pray for those who persecute you. So there is definitely this idea that Jesus is saying, you know what, I want you to examine yourself. I want you to examine your motives. I want you to examine your heart. I want you to examine your life, why you believe what you believe, and is it God's heart? So you look at it and you go, oh, I've got some mold on my heart. <laughs> you got a problem then if you do, but i got some issues. I need to deconstruct, and I need, I need God to pinpoint those areas, and I need to remove them so he can rebuild my life with truth, with his heart. See, we're going to close with this, but if you have been a Christian a long time, how many, of, how many of us have been Christians a long time? Let's just be honest. You've been a Christian for years? Okay, me too. As the years go on, I can look at the date of my salvation going, wow, it's, it's a long time ago. I want to give you a little truth about being a Christian for a long time. You carry with you a, D, a spiritual DNA, both that include good things and bad things. Okay, when you first were Christian, you went to a specific denomination, right, which carry beliefs. Now, I'm assembly of God. I don't believe assembly of God is the only way to go to heaven. Okay, I want to throw that out front. The reason why I started going to assembly of God is because I said, oh, they're right and everyone else is wrong. No, 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 no. My family forced me to go to Assembly God Church because they said, we're going to church now. And I said, no, you're going in that van now. That's what my dad said. Okay. Assembly God Church, it's fine. And then I said, I'm called to, I'm called to preach. What am I supposed to do? Well, you can go to Northwest University. Well, what's that? It's a college that's run by the Assemblies of God. Wow. Go there, learn it, meet my wife, and I get a job right here. And I show up at Somebody God Church. But, you know, that's part of my DNA for good and bad, by the way, because it filters everything. Now, I also have, a, I also have in my DNA, spiritual DNA, a specific favorite Bible that I read. Why? Because I started reading the NIV when I first became a Christian. For some of us, it was King James, New King James. For some of us, you're not even reading the Bible. Just go find, go find an NIV or New King James or New Living Translation. You'll be fine. Okay? But I tend to favor myself personally, the NIV. Why? Because I memorized the Bible in that. I start quoting the NIV. So all of that is, it, it filters the way that I see my life. It filters the way that I see things for good and for bad. Sometimes I'm spiritually blinded to things because, no, it's got to be this way. I favor certain songs. Man, if Lydia would just sing that song, then I'd feel really close to God right now. Why is that? Why is that song? Because it brings you back to a memory. Not because God's more anointed that song. That will preach, but it's because that's what it, it, that song brings us to a memory of when we were close to God. When I hear Amazing Grace, brings me back to the day one, 100%. Like all of a sudden I'm feeling revival in my heart when I hear Amazing Grace. But and is that a bad thing to have that spiritual DNA? No, that's your story. But sometimes that filters everything, the way that we see people based on our church history, based on how the pastor preached or how, how we, it just filters everything. Sometimes it's a bad thing. Sometimes you have to take a step back, a season to step back, 
to deconstruct things. As he said, you've heard it said this way. You need to start looking at that from all angles and see what is God's heart. And you go, okay, this part of my life is wrong. I need to love that. And I need to love that person, not judge them. And then what you do is take a season where you're praying. You're taking a season where you're worshiping. You're taking a season where you're studying. The study word is not a bad word. You dig deep. You find resources. I got books over here. This is just a small example. You dig deep. You become a student, a learner, which is the word disciple, by the way. If you, I'm a disciple of Christ, but I'm not a student. Well, then you're not a disciple then, because that's what it means. A learner, a student of Christ, okay? And so you become a student again. You say, Lord, I'm in this to go deeper with you. Teach me, Lord. And you go up to someone that you trust and you say, help me. Help me. I need, I'm struggling. Can you help me? Pray for me. Teach me a little bit here. What, is the, what, do you, what do you think this means in the Bible? I really struggle with it. And then they say, oh, I have no idea, but let's go talk to blah, blah, blah. Or let's go research it together. They don't say, you, you don't trust that. You are not a Christian. No. That's what it means that you go through a season where you're examining things. Why do I trust this? Why do I believe in God? Why is Jesus the only way? And if you do that, here you go. You'll find God. You'll grow deeper. Why? That's, that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Right? That's my story. So if you're struggling spiritually, don't give up. Don't leave Jesus. Don't leave the church. Dig in. And you will find God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that each one of us would wrestle with things and they would find truth. I pray for those who are a little nervous. They never heard this before. The reality is it's going to cause us to go deeper with you. If we take a step back, ask some legit questions, it will help us to be deeper uh, Christians and more helpful to other people because we can help other people in their doubts and their questions because it's the same questions that we wrestled with. And I thank you for each person here. I thank you for your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Be safe on the roads. Eat some good lunch. Stay warm. Let the power stay on, right? In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to pray that in Jesus' name. I'm not losing power again, that's for sure.